well, I hope you're ready to dig into God's Word this morning. We're starting a new series today called King of All Kings. Over the past few months, we've been focusing on this big theme of the kingdom of God, and we've been looking at the life of Jesus. And, you know, this is not our idea to focus on the kingdom of God. This is exactly what Jesus did. He went around from town to town, and he would make this big announcement, the kingdom of God has come near. And why was that? Why had God's kingdom come near? It's because the king himself had come near. Jesus is the king of all kings. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the most powerful and dramatic part of this story. And I don't want to give out any spoilers, but the story of Jesus has a great ending. Today, though, we're going to see Jesus at a very low point. We're going to see him go through the dark night of the soul. And unfortunately, when Jesus needs his friends the most, his friends just fall asleep. Now, I'm confident that most of us know what it's like to fall asleep when you should stay awake. We've all done this, right? Let's do a quick survey. How many of you have ever fallen asleep while watching a TV show? Let's see a show of hands. Oh, yeah, a bunch of us. Now, that happens to me sometimes when I stay up really late, like 8.45, 9 o'clock. That's my danger zone right there. Uh, how about this one? Did you ever fall asleep or come close to falling asleep while driving? Now, I have to say, I, I've come close to doing that myself. Uh, many years ago, I was dating a girl who lived about three hours away from me. And there was a, a, a night when I, I had driven to, to visit her, and I, I was driving home, but I didn't leave until midnight. And I can remember uh, just slapping myself, trying to stay awake while I was on the road. I, I went Will Smith on my own face. <laughs> Is it too soon for that? No. So don't drive sleepy. Just don't do that. Uh, I have one more to ask you about, and this one's a little personal. Have any of you ever fallen asleep during a sermon? It's okay. Don't be embarrassed. I've done it too. And part of me wants to ask if you've fallen asleep in one of my sermons. <laughs> but I'm not going to do that. We're just going to move on. But like I said, the, the disciples in the story we're going to read today, they really dropped the ball. Jesus asks them to stay awake. And within minutes, they all start snoozing. So let's read this. If, if you have a Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 26, and we'll start down at verse 36. Follow along with me. Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
He went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. My heart really goes out to Jesus here. He's just hours away from the cross. He's about to die, and he knows it. This is a rough night for Jesus. But if we pay attention here, there's a lot we can learn. To be specific, we can learn a lot from the way Jesus prays in this passage. That's the title of the, the sermon, The King's Prayer. And in this prayer, Jesus gives us a pattern to follow when we go through trials of any kind. But to see that pattern, we need to back up and uh, look a little closer. Let's go back to verse 36. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. So we need to start with the word then. Then means something happened before this, and, and what just happened? Well, this had been a long and eventful week for Jesus and the disciples. It began on Sunday. It began with the triumphal entry. We talked about this last week. This was when Jesus rode a donkey into the city of Jerusalem and big crowds of people cheered and celebrated him as king, as the Messiah even. That was Sunday. The people loved him on that day. But public opinion changed over the course of the week. Monday was when Jesus stormed into the temple and he confronted the money changers. He flipped over tables. He made the Jewish religious leaders furious. At that point, they couldn't wait to kill him. So that was Monday. On Tuesday, Jesus had several tense and controversial conversations with those religious leaders. Then on Wednesday and Thursday, Jesus and his disciples made pre preparations to commemorate the Passover, one of the most important Jewish holidays of the entire year. And on Thursday evening, they all celebrate the Passover with a meal. Today we know this meal as the Last Supper. And you might remember there were lots of uncomfortable moments at this dinner. Early on, Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. He, he acted like he was one of the servants, and that felt very inappropriate, especially for Peter. And then uh, later, Jesus said to his disciples, one of you will betray me. That had to be awkward. They all looked around, confused, and then Judas Iscariot left the room, and it was clear something bad was about to happen. And if all that wasn't enough, Jesus then led his disciples through a ceremony where he took a loaf of bread and a cup and he said, this is my body. This is my blood. Take it. Eat and drink in remembrance of me. So this was a dinner like no other. And by the time it was over, the disciples were exhausted. It had already been a long week. 
It had already been a long night, but this night wasn't over. Far from it. They all got up after dinner, and Jesus led them out through the city. And there was a full moon that night. We know this because the Jewish festival, Passover, it always falls on a full moon. So picture it. This group of 12, they walk through the moonlit streets of the city of Jerusalem, and they leave the city by the eastern gate. They cross over the Kidron Brook, and then they make their way up a hill. This hill is known as the Mount of Olives. And on that hill is a garden. It's called the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, this name Gethsemane, it means oil press. And that's an appropriate name for multiple reasons. Uh, For one thing, this garden is full of olive trees. And the oil press was a tool they used to extract the oil from the olives. Over 20 years ago now, I I had the chance to visit Gethsemane. It's an amazing place. These uh, olive trees, they are ancient, hundreds and hundreds of years old. And many scientists believe the present trees are direct descendants of the trees that Jesus would have seen. Very, very cool. There is another reason this name Gethsemane is appropriate. Just like an olive is crushed in the oil press, Jesus is about to be crushed and bruised and pierced for our sins, our transgressions. Just like the oil pours out of the olive, the blood of Jesus will be poured out and His death will cover the debt that you and I deserve to pay because of our sin. But we're not quite there yet. As Jesus and the disciples arrive at the garden gate, He leaves eight of them behind and He tells them to pray. And Jesus goes on with a smaller group, verse 37. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. So that's Peter, James, and John. They're the inner circle. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So think about that phrase for a second. Overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus is so deeply sad here. It feels like he's about to die. If we go back to the original Greek language, the the wording is so strong. Uh, We see that Jesus feels a profound grief here, even terror. And then if we go over to the book of Luke, we see that Jesus sweats drops of blood. And by the way, that's a documented medical condition. It's extremely rare but it's known as hematidrosis. This is something that can happen when a person experiences severe stress. The the capillaries in their forehead just burst. And dermatologists have sometimes seen this in, in people who were waiting to be executed. And of course, that's exactly what where Jesus is here. But we need to be clear about something. Yes, Jesus is about to be killed. That's stressful enough. But that's not the only reason he feels tortured in his soul. He's about to go through some things that we can't understand at all. Remember, Jesus is the only sinless person who has ever lived. 
He is completely innocent. But he is about to carry the weight of guilt of every sin that's ever been committed. We, we can't understand this. Before, before this, Jesus has never felt any form of guilt. But now, here, he, he's going to, to feel the guilt of every human being, past, present, and future. That's another level of suffering. But there's even one more level that might be the worst of all. He's about to experience the absence of his heavenly Father. On the cross, you might remember, Jesus cries out with a broken heart. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus is about to be separated from his heavenly Father in a way that's never happened before. And he will feel utterly alone. Now, this, this is a little confusing for us because according to Scripture, Jesus was totally human. He was also totally God. So how could he be separated from God when he is God? It's a tough question. Uh, but a Bible commentator named Mark Moore says, it's not that Jesus ceased to be God in that moment, but it is true that on some level, the Father turns his back on Jesus as he becomes the embodiment of sin. Suffice it to say, back in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus knows what's coming. And he is experiencing a level of mental and emotional anguish that we can't even imagine. And this is the moment when he prays this extraordinary prayer. Down in verse 39, he walks even beyond Peter, James, and John. And going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground. And he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. This is stunning, isn't it? He wants to get out of it. He doesn't want to go through what's about to happen. Father, is there any other way? Do I have to drink this cup? And when Jesus talks about the cup here, he's referring to a metaphor from the Old Testament. The metaphor of the cup is a symbol for suffering, especially the, the kind of suffering that relates to God's wrath. And that's what Jesus is going to face here as he lays down his life. He will face the wrath of a just God, a God who will not stand for sin. He hates sin with a passion. And again, it's hard for us to understand, but in this prayer, we're seeing the human side of Jesus. He's like us. He doesn't want to suffer. He doesn't want to go through this painful trial. He doesn't want to feel that guilt and abandonment. He doesn't want to die. He would love to escape this whole ordeal. But what does Jesus say next? Not as I will, but as you will. Now, do those words sound familiar? Do you hear echoes from a different prayer? You might, if you remember Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer. He said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here at Plum Creek, this, this is what we're praying in this year of the kingdom. Your kingdom come. And what do we mean by that? 
but we're asking for God's rule and His reign to grow and expand in this world. We're asking for up there to come down here. But we also need to remember those next few words. Your will be done. It's not about me. It's not about my will. It's about you, Lord. It's about your will. For just a second, I want you to imagine something. What if you were completely in charge of the entire universe? You got to run the show. Have you ever thought about that? If you could arrange this whole universe exactly the way you wanted it to be, exactly according to your will, do you think you would do anything differently? There's a a great quote that I've shared here before from an old minister named J. Vernon McGee. He said, this is God's universe, and God does things His way. You may have a better way, but you don't have a universe. We can't tell God what to do. And we can try, but He's still going to do things His way. We can't control Him. However, we can control our response to Him. And on the one hand, we have the choice. We can reject Him, reject His authority. Or we can accept Him as King. We can pray along with Jesus here. Not my will, but yours. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. You know, it can be very hard to pray these words and really mean it. And you know why, right? It's hard because our will is not always in agreement with God's will. A few years ago, I tried to think of a, a visual way to, to picture this. And I, I thought about uh, Venn diagrams. Some of you remember these, uh, maybe from math class. And it's really not that complicated. Uh, we'll start with two separate circles. One circle represents my will. And then the other represents God's will. And in the next image, we'll see these two circles overlap. And you see that purple part in the middle? That's the good stuff there. That's where my will agrees with God's will. That's when he and I get along just fine. But you see the problem there, don't you? (laughs) There's a, a whole big section of God's will that's not in agreement with my will. And yeah, this is... A nice, simple diagram, but don't let it fool you. That whole red area right there, that is a battleground. That area determines what happens with your life when your will is at war with God's will. That's why I'm so thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful for this passage that we're reading today because in these verses, Jesus shows us exactly what to do when we struggle to surrender to God's will. He doesn't just teach us what to do. He shows us what to do. And and if we pay close attention here, we can learn to accept one of the most difficult truths in this life. And if this is the only thing you remember today, I will consider that a win. Here is the difficult truth. God's will is better than ours. That's it. This is always true. All day, every day. It's true when we're making plans, where we're setting goals for our lives. It's true when you're tempted to sin. It's also true when you go through a time of suffering. 
And that's really our focus today. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus suffered in a way that we can't comprehend. And on his human side, he wanted to escape the bitter cup that he was about to drink. But Jesus was willing to trust that his heavenly Father's plan was best. He was willing to submit. And so if we follow his example, we will say, God, I do want what I want, but I want what you want more. Jesus was willing to submit to God's will no matter how painful the consequences would be. He is our role model. He shows us what to do when we're not on the same page with God. He he shows us how it's done. But the reality is, we struggle with this. We struggle to follow His example. Here in Matthew 26, do you know where we see ourselves? We see ourselves in the disciples. Jesus goes through this torturous process of surrendering to God's will. And as he does that, what are the disciples doing? They're hanging out over there in dreamland. Verse 40, Jesus returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, it would be sad enough if this happened once, but it actually happened three times. The disciples let Jesus down again and again. And unfortunately, we can relate to that. We're like these disciples. Think about Peter specifically. Jesus addresses him directly here. Jesus asked him to stay awake. Peter fell asleep three times. And then later, in this same chapter, Jesus is arrested. If he ever needed a loyal friend, it was here. But what did Peter do? He disowned Jesus. Again, three times. So what's happening here? Well, Peter's will is in conflict with God's will. Sometimes because of physical weakness. Sometimes because of spiritual weakness. And you know what? This is really encouraging. You know why? Because Jesus doesn't give up on Peter. Jesus doesn't kick Peter to the curb. He works with him over time. And as you read through the New Testament, you see that Peter, his will begins to overlap with God's will more and more. A few chapters into the book of Acts, he's a completely different guy. He is ready and willing to die for Jesus. And that should be the pattern for every Christian. It's a life of surrender. When you first give your life to Jesus, you make a commitment to surrender completely to God's will. And that's a good thing to make that commitment. But in, in the days to come, we still struggle, struggle to surrender on a daily basis. But just like Peter, through the power of the Holy Spirit, We can learn to align our will more completely with God's will. And we can even learn to surrender to God when He calls us to suffer. You know, sooner or later, we all experience pain and suffering. Some of you are going through a difficult trial right now. Others, maybe things are going well at the moment. You're doing all right. But get ready because your trial is coming At some point, we all have our own night in Gethsemane, at least a mini version of that. 
And when you find yourself in that garden, in that time of suffering, how do you say, not my will, but yours? How do you surrender to God's will when it's the last thing you want to do? Well, I want to close by looking at three practical steps that we can take with God's help. And I heard these first two steps from a preacher named Rick Warren. Um, These steps are simple, but they're very challenging. Step one is to let go of control. Most of us don't like this step at all. Because when we we run into a problem, we want to fix it. And when we're hurting, we want to do something to stop the pain. We try to take control of things. We try to do things that only God can do. For example, you can't control the other people in your life. You can't control your spouse or your kids or your parents or your boss or that person who drives you crazy. You also can't control the past or the future. You know, if you want peace in your life, you will never find it by stepping into a role that only God can fill. That will put you in conflict with God's will. So this is a basic step towards surrender. Let go of control. Not my will, but yours. You know, there is another prayer that was inspired by the Lord's Prayer. It's called the Serenity Prayer. Have you heard of this one? It says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change. Grant me the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. You've probably seen that uh, framed and hanging on a wall somewhere. And it's a pretty good prayer. But I recently learned that most of us only know the beginning of the serenity prayer. There's a second part, and it gets even better. I want to read you the whole thing. Check this out. The full prayer says this, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. And then it goes on. Living one day at a time, and that's what Jesus taught. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. Enjoying one moment at a time. Accepting hardship as the pathway to peace. Taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will. So that I may be reasonably happy in this life. And that's the reality, isn't it? We'll never be completely happy in this world. And supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. That's powerful, isn't it? And you know, in the the first part of this prayer, it it points out that there are some things you can change. And if if that's true, if you can change it, go right ahead and do that. But what about those things that you can't change? What are you going to do there? Well, you could worry about it, or resent it, or regret it, or feel sorry for yourself. But will any of those things help? Those things don't help at all, do they? It's only one thing that works. Let go of control, give it to God, and accept it. Not my will, but yours. And that leads us to the second step I want to mention. Step number two is learn to be content. And don't get me wrong here. 
Uh, contentment doesn't mean you have to like the situation. You don't have to pretend that you're not upset. Go back to Jesus in the garden. He did not want to drink that cup. And he was more than upset. He was in agony. And because of what we see in Jesus here, we know that it's okay to hurt. It's okay to pour your heart out to God, express your hurt to Him. But it's true. This is a difficult step. And, and does it seem like that word content, that that's a little extreme? Does it seem like a, a, an unreasonable goal? I would say that it is, except there are places in the Bible where that's the goal. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul uses this word, content. He says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Somehow, Paul learned to be content in any and every situation. And listen, when it came to suffering, Paul was in the big leagues. There were times when Paul was so poor, he was literally starving. There were multiple times when Paul was thrown in prison, even though he had done nothing wrong. It was completely unfair. And then there were times when Paul was beaten so badly, people thought he was dead. I mean, this guy knows suffering. But here he is. He learned the art of contentment. And you know, the word learn is important there too. This is a learned skill. It may not come naturally. usually doesn't. Here's what comes naturally. When we experience pain, we just want it to go away. And if it doesn't go away, if God doesn't remove it, we at least want to know why. But just be aware, God normally doesn't tell us why. And even if He did, knowing why wouldn't take the pain. But I, I do have... Good news, the Bible does give us a partial answer to the why question. Over in James chapter 1, verse 2, James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. According to God's Word, there's something important happening as we go through a time of suffering. We're being tested. And if we can learn to surrender to God as we go through that test, we'll come through on the other side spiritually stronger, more mature. We may not like it, but God often has a plan to use suffering as a way to shape us into who He wants us to be. Now, I'm not saying that He is directly causing your pain right now, but at the very least, He is allowing it. And in that time of testing, that's when He wants us to pray these words, not my will, but yours. And this is always a good prayer. Always. You know why? This is always a good prayer because God is always good. He's faithful, and you can trust Him. And this is the last step that I want to mention. Step number three, keep trusting through the testing. 
But how is it possible to accept a reality that you just don't like? How can you be content in the middle of a situation that seems intolerable? Well, the only way to do that is to trust God. Trust that He's good, that His will is better than ours. Trust that He is always working, working for the good of those who love Him. That's what Jesus did. He trusted that His heavenly Father was working out the best possible plan, even though it involved lots of suffering. But Jesus said, Father, I want what I want. (laughs) I want this cup to be taken from me. But I want what you want more. Jesus was willing to submit to God's will, no matter how painful the consequences. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can learn to surrender too. I want you to know, though, I don't say these things lightly or flippantly, because in our church family right now, So many of you are suffering, going through a difficult trial. I've actually never seen anything like it in all my years of ministry. It grieves me, and I wish I could do something to make it easier for you. But it's beyond my control, and in most cases, it's beyond your control too. But here's what I can do. I can remind you that God is good. You can trust Him as you're being tested. You can let go of control. You can be be content in the fact that He's always working behind the scenes. Sooner or later, His kingdom will come in full force. And the good news of His kingdom is always stronger than the bad news in this world. So here and now, we're praying, your kingdom come. And we want His kingdom to come here. But in the meantime, we also pray the rest of that prayer. Your will be done. Not my will, but yours. I ask the worship team to share a song that goes along with this sermon. And they're going to come, but... uh, Before we listen to the words of this song, let's pray. Father, you know this is hard for us. Some of us haven't experienced the the deep level of pain yet. But others are in the middle of it right now. And it's so difficult to say, not my will, but yours. But Lord, will you help us to know in the depth of our souls that you are good And we can surrender to you. This is always a good prayer. Not my will, but yours. We need your help to do that, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.